If you can't wait a whole month for our next episode, you can join our Patreon membership for early releases and exclusive content for only $5 a month at patreon.com slash transgender school. And you can rent our 90-minute course, Transgender Allyship 101, where we reenact my coming out and teach you how to be a true ally to any trans person in your life at vimeo.com slash on demand slash trans ally. Welcome to the Transgender School podcast, where we talk about diverse LGBTQ identities and experiences so that we can all be better allies and advocates. I'm Bridget. My daughter Jackie came out as a transgender woman when she was 19. I was totally unprepared, but I've learned a lot since then. When I came to terms with my identity, I realized that I needed to transition, but coming out was very stressful. Now I want to help other trans people navigate their own experiences. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Transgender School podcast. Today is very exciting for us because it's very different. We have a panel of guests today who have all been featured in a beautiful, spectacular, moving, incredible book that I am reading. The book is called Authentic Selves, Celebrating Trans and Non-Binary People and Their Families. I cannot recommend this book to you more. As I'm reading it, I am crying and laughing and relating as the mom of a transgender daughter and just as a human being. The stories are incredibly meaningful and touching. And the work that you've all done is so important in the world right now for very obvious reasons. The group also has exhibits. So we want you to know all about those where they're showing their work and images and and in various ways, they are sharing the stories of their lives with us. And we're going to hear about that from the folks who are doing the work because they know much better than I do. And so I'll start by introducing Peggy Gillespie. I hope I got that right, (laughs) who I'm so happy to have connected with. We have many mutual connections that we've found. And I know that your book was the, the beginning of the book is you're introduced by Jazz and Jeanette Jennings, who are friends of ours as well. And so many meaningful connections that we all have. And Peggy, I'll just turn it over to you. The plan is everybody who's following, watching or listening that, that Peggy's going to share a little bit about the project, the book, the exhibits. And then we're going to hear a brief introduction from each of our guests so we know who they are. You're not going to get to hear their whole story because that would take forever. And we want you to buy this book and we want you to attend these exhibits. We want to entice you today to go out and find their work because you will get so much out of it. So we're going to give you these kind of brief highlights of their stories after they all introduce themselves. So I'll start by turning it over to Peggy to give us a little of the background. Peggy, who is the author of the book, who created this whole project, spearheaded it, and has been working in this field for decades doing so much important work. So Peggy, please tell us more about Authentic Selves. Hi, thank you so much for inviting all of us. For me, it's also a pleasure to see all the participants, people that I interviewed over some local, some far away via Zoom. A long time ago, I mean, I'm getting old, so 30 some years ago, we did 
Love Makes a Family exhibit and book, which is still, believe it or not, traveling all over the country, schools and colleges and libraries, etc. And it's the stories of LGBT people and their families. And so that was where it began. It caused a gigantic controversy in our liberal town of, of Amherst, which I'm mentioning because something else happened with Authentic Cells here in Amherst. And it took about a year to get it into the elementary schools over the protestations of five families. They went to federal court and Love Makes Family was allowed into the schools based on free speech. So that began the whole journey of all of the eight different exhibits. And one of them over COVID times, all the exhibits stopped traveling. So I wanted to do, because of what was happening in the transgender world, um, as a mom of a non-binary 36-year-old kiddo, I really wanted to push back against the hate and transphobia and all the horrors that we're all seeing in our many, many states that are passing bills and laws that are preventing care and health care and safety for trans youth in particular and their families. So this is what happened. I wrote a, a book proposal, got accepted immediately by Skinner House because they're very committed to social justice and trans issues and spent the last couple of years you know, working <laughs> for an old person. I'd fall asleep at the computer around midnight editing all of these interviews and doing all the interviews, as I say, many of them by Zoom, except for, in this case, Ted, who is local. And most interviews, I wound up crying, laughing, like you said, and really feeling the the fact that these were remarkable people, not just ordinary stories. These were remarkable stories told by just exquisite people. There you can see some of them or hear some of them today, but wow, I felt I feel and felt so privileged to be able to have this experience. As much work as it took was a work of joy. Seeing the book and now the exhibit traveling all over the place, it's remarkable. The book sold out its first printing before it it was published on May 1st because so many people wanted it. (laughs) Then we started by showing the exhibit in in Northampton, and this is what I'll finish with, is that there were four schools that showed it in the last month, one of which was a pre-K through sixth grade school that infused, they had it up for a month, they infused their curriculum from physical education to Every possible way they taught three-year-olds now know all the pronouns. They really taught respect and love and caring for all. And of course, there were some non, there was a non-binary teacher there. I mean, and kids that are identifying as trans or non-binary early on. So it became for me a model of what has to go against what Ron DeSantis and people of his cruel ilk are promoting in schools because every child should have the opportunity to meet these families and learn about loving, respect, and caring for all people. We then, after the elementary schools showed it, there were two of them, then Amherst Middle School 
wound up in a huge controversy. It's, it was on the cover of the Boston Globe this week, where two of the guidance counselors and an assistant superintendent of school were investigated by the high schoolers who did an, a 50-page article now seen by 40,000 views at this point. I'm sure it's going to go way up after the Boston Globe and expose the fact that these two guidance counselors were speaking to trans youth about conversion therapy, praying for God to take the demons away from the trans and, and LGB lesbian gay students, and just harming one after the other. And they've been reported, but nothing had been done. So it became now national news. And so the high school, these investigative journalist students and the, their teacher brought Authentic Cells, the photo text exhibit, into the schools, and it was a huge hit. And then we moved it to the middle school where this had happened, and it just got taken down. And I have to say, for me, both listening to the faculty at that elementary school after they finished showing it, hearing what they had done, again, I had tears the whole faculty meeting. I was told by the principal this was the best thing we've done probably in years. And knowing that the middle school is now celebrating trans and non-binary lives, given what they've, the horrible bullying that was going on from these guidance counselors and other students as well, because the climate of this very liberal, very progressive town was terrible up here in Massachusetts. So kind of full circle from Love Makes a Family to right this week. So that's, and that's why I do the work. And that's why I'm lucky enough to meet all these people that you'll now introduce. Thank you so much, Peggy. And thank you for sharing that very current and important piece of, of what's happening out there in the news. And I, we need to know about this. And, and it, it breaks my heart. And it makes me wonder how much of this is going on that we don't know about. So thankfully, right. students and, and parents and advocates like all of us are speaking up and making it known that this is not acceptable. These kinds of choices are not acceptable and that that this needs to be addressed and people need to speak up and people right. need to be held accountable. So thank right. you for sharing sure. all of that with us. Sure. And, and can I add one more thing, which mm -hmm. is just... Anybody anywhere in this country where they're allowed to can bring the exhibit, you know, whether it's a library, a school, college, house of worship. And I also encourage everybody who buys a book to buy an extra copy or 20 or 30 and send them to friends, send them to legislators, send them to educators, send them to religious leaders, because we need to get people to know the reality of what it is to be trans and non-binary, not these horrific, wrong-headed, cruel views. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Thank you. We're just going to do a brief introduction. I want to make sure our audience knows who everybody is and can put faces to names. If you're watching, it also gets mm -hmm. that brief introduction. The folks who are here, I feel like starstruck because I've read all their stories, I've got to tell you, and I was so moved by all of them, and I could ask them each a 100 questions about their stories. I learned so much. Jackie and I have been doing this work for for about three years, but I learned 
so many things from all of your stories that I had never heard before, how unique they were and how meaningful and moving. But instead of me peppering you and Jackie peppering you with questions, we're going to ask you to first introduce yourselves in whatever way you want (laughs) for a minute or two. And then we'll come back to you and ask you which parts of the story that you shared in the book would you most want our audience to know to kind of just give them a tiny little taste of what they'll get in this, this incredible book. And I'll just go ahead and start. For anybody new listening, I'm Bridget. I'm a cisgender, I think heterosexual. I don't know. Let's just say heterosexual <laughs> for now. No questioning that. But a woman, and I'm the very proud mom of a transgender daughter, Jackie, who is married to someone I also consider my child, Tori, and they have a beautiful relationship. And I'm a retired professor. I'm, I hope. I can say I'm an advocate and ally and activist uh, trying to teach people about our family story with my daughter, Jackie. That's me, my brief introduction. Jackie, do you want to go next, just in case anybody new is listening and for the folks here? (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Jackie. I am the transgender daughter in question. I will pass it on to Ted. Yeah, I'm Ted. Trans Mayo. In my 40s, I transitioned about five, six years ago. And I think the most memorable thing for me is that uh, many of my kids are interviewed in the book, um, which was as touching for me, actually, to read as it might be for some some other people. I know people have mentioned that. I'm a consultant for self-management, which I'll refer to also later in our longer story. So, so much. And do I pass it on? Then I'll pass sure, it on. Sure, why not? Let's do popcorn. Sure. <laughs> Lana, go ahead. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Lana Patel here, pronoun history for hers. I um, am, I mean, if you've got a little bit about the story, I'm an Afro Indo Caribbean trans woman, uh, originally from New York, lived in Florida for 13 years. Shame on Rhonda Sanchez. And all of the horrific things that are happening to trans folks in Florida. I currently live in California. Super thankful to be in a liberal state um, with laws and protect- protections for folks like myself. I am currently based out of Los Angeles, but I have an organization based in the Bay Area. And so that brings me back and forth. And so currently I'm in the Bay Area. And then I had the pleasure of doing the book with my parents, who are immigrants to America and come from a very different Caribbean background and ideology and mindset. So it was such a pleasure to do this book with them and to be able to shed light that Caribbean folks can be supportive of their trans loved ones grateful and uh with that i will pop one to jackie thanks lana great to meet you so excited to hear a little bit more about your experience later i will popcorn it to christian hi everybody i'm christian zillowitz i am a 53 year old average suburban trans man Math teacher, uh, dad and husband, 
I live in the Atlanta area, but I'm originally from Bon Joviville, Sayreville, New Jersey, and got to Atlanta via Seattle, where I lived for 16 years. I don't know what a lot of people's experience is, but I learned that mine is not too unique. I dated boys, several gay boyfriends before I married a husband who I went to high school with. Alcoholic marriage moved geographic across to Seattle because it was beautiful and his brother was there and fell in love with Seattle, of course. And by the grace of the universe, that's where I got divorced, came out, started dating women. And then 10 years later, I transitioned in 2006. I started transition medically at the end of 2006 and had top surgery the year after. But in the beginning of that, I met, I had met my wife to be, and she's from Chicago. So we are two transplants in Atlanta. We have two beautiful daughters who are 14 and a half and 11.9. We're a big, happy rainbow family. I will say that I just could never have imagined being able to sit here on this recording that will be forever and in this book that would be forever compared to when I first came out as a lesbian educator in Seattle, Washington, where I just knew the moment I came out, it was don't ask, don't tell. And I think what we're doing here is so, so, so important because in that middle school and that high school, we are telling before we're even asked. Amen for those kids who who wouldn't take, who wouldn't accept all that abuse lying down anymore. It just warms my heart to know that the Boston Globe picked up the story. I hope it has the impact it's supposed to have. And to hear the elementary school, how well it went. And know that my family was in that first photo exhibit that that posted and I saw our picture in the background and it just warms my heart in whatever elementary school it was where your kids went Peggy I think it's just it's fabulous so thank you all for participating in this today and off to Joseph and Tamira I'm Tamira Burns I'm a currently retired social worker However, I've been a trans ally, well, I've been an LGBTQ ally for more than 30 years. I am a cisgender woman who identifies as queer. What started me on my journey was that my assigned female at birth child became my son at age 14. Ryan is now about to turn 29. And so for me, I was one of the first educators within the state of Arizona to start doing education around taking care of trans kids and their families, running the social work circuit, as anyone who's a social worker knows that circuit, and just trying to affect policy change there. It was through my work as a trans ally that I actually met my husband, Joseph, who needs to introduce himself. Joseph Burwell. I am absolutely delighted to be a part of Peggy's book and to meet Peggy in person in New York City a few weeks ago and Pride. I, I think likely thing I can say that, to make sense at this moment is I was a soldier before Don't Ask, Don't Tell as a, as a lesbian and as a female-bodied person that set me on a path of not 
needing to comply with convention. And so at age 21, I didn't need to follow the rules anymore because the rules weren't for me. It set me on a path where I could find my way on my own. To make a long story short, I became a physician associate, began to practice medicine. At age 40, after my loans were paid off, set up a nonprofit. And at this point, we have helped over 200 women who came across the southern border as immigrants seeking legal asylum find their way toward asylum and toward their uh, true authentic selves. And now that Pam and I have moved back to my hometown of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, we're setting up continued education to, to teach others to be leaders in this area, medically speaking, and also trans peer support because there are so many people of all ages, not just young people, who need to find each other and know that we're not alone. Because when I started transitioning as uh, the, I, I thought I was the only person who needed, I thought, I, I well, first of all, I was in Iraq and I really thought maybe I was the only one. But Ted and Christian can tell you we're, we're not the only ones. And Lana and Jackie, uh, Lana, I'm sorry, not Jackie, Lana, we're not the only ones. And so we have to find each other. And peer support does that. And so Tam is a fantastic leader in peer support, uh, especially among the allies. And then we build facilitators, we build leaders among peer support. And so here we are 23 years later, still doing that. And that's my life's work. These are my children. I didn't uh, have any biological biological children of my own, but PeaceWork Medical is my family and my children, my offspring, my legacy. Thank you. Perfect. That went better than I even had hoped. You all were very clear and, and concise in your introductions for the perfect amount of time. Before we move into sharing, going a little bit more into each of your stories, one of the things that stands out to me so much from the book and from everything that you just shared is the whole idea of family and these unique, diverse families. And I know Christian, you and your wife, Heather, and Joseph and Tamara share this interesting experience of the world looking at you as if you are just this straight cisgender couple and having that reflected back to you, but knowing that your stories are, of course, much more more complex and fascinating and nuanced than that. And also in the book, you know, so the stories of family, I think would be great for people to hear whatever you're comfortable sharing. And Ted, I think it was in your story where your kids talked about having three dads. Is that right? And what that's like. And that was just really, really struck me. And and talking about that proudly and, and all of your kids who were in the book, that is something I have not seen before. Young kids talking about how proud they are to be part of your unique, diverse families and how they call out the other kids in school if they hear any transphobia or homophobia. That was just so inspiring and gave me so much hope. And Lana, your story the journey that you've been through with your family, given your cultural background and the the cultural messages about 
just the wrong messages, but that that need to be unlearned and that we need to also understand that people are a product of what they've learned and what they've been indoctrinated to believe and how you and your family have come so far in in connecting in new ways and and having them understand who you are and learn from you, but in ways that I can only imagine have been incredibly painful and difficult and that many of our listeners can relate to. So if we could maybe go into your stories, but with this this highlight of family, the family journey, what has that been? How is your family unique? And how has your family in various ways either struggled or risen to the occasion to embracing your identities and your transitions and your unique experiences. So how about if we start with Lana? Does that sound okay with everybody? And then we'll, we can just popcorn and Jackie and I are just here to facilitate. So you don't have to send anything to us. We'll just go around the group. Anything that you feel stands out to you as part of your story that you would like our listeners to know and to remind them that they must go out and buy the book to learn more because that's where they'll really get the depth of your stories. So thank you, Lana. If you'll go first, we'd love to hear you share your story. Thank you so much. So I guess the readers digest version because you all definitely need to go out and get the book. I was the firstborn of three children on my mother's side and the only child between my biological parents, my stepfather and my mom are in the book. But I came from a very conservative culture and background with Caribbean parents that were doing the best that they could and doing what they knew. But they were also very entrenched in dancehall culture. And for those who don't know, dancehall culture is very, can be very misogynist, can be very binary. And it's very hom- openly homophobic. Transphobia isn't even a topic because a lot of folks aren't even in a space in dancehall culture or like in the Caribbean to even transition. If you have that opportunity, you have usually fleed the country. We do have some trans folks who are known as gully queens and they kind of live in like gullies and ravines in certain parts of the island. So for me, growing up, I always had the incongruency of feeling female or like a girl and identifying with other little girls, but knowing that my genitalia didn't match and that I was being groomed and treated as a male child. So that was really tough for me. And also having very binary, a biological father growing up and stepfather, that was really tough for me as well. My mother actually always... I think she might talk about it in the book, but she always wanted a daughter. Now she has two. I have my little sister who's adopted, but she gave birth to two biological sons. Me being the firstborn and my culture is supposed to be like this whole celebration, the prodigal son. This is amazing. You have like your firstborn as a son and all this stuff. And I didn't live up to that. 
And I also thought my mom would be super supportive or like inclusive growing up just because she went to beauty school. She'd been around a lot of like LGBTQ folks. And I thought she would be like my biggest champion. And when you read the book, you kind of learn more about my relationship with my mom and how everything kind of unfolded. But my mom actually was the last person in the family to come around and, and accept me and support me. But I'm su- super grateful for her support now. But it's been quite a journey. And I started my transition in 2006. Um, in 2007, I went to see my, my parents when I was still living in Florida at the time with my mother's parents. I went to visit them in New York. My stepdad shaved my head bald during that trip. I had to go back to Florida with a bald head and bought a wig for the first time. And I had to learn how to live a double life, being a boy in the home, being a girl outside until I had enough, ran away from home, started my life over and just kind of took life of my own hands and decided that I was going to have full autonomy of my life. And I think that courage is what kind of led to a lot of changes within my family and them finally coming around to accepting me. It's now a very beautiful relationship that we have now. And I was just there a month ago and we had a barbecue for Memorial weekend and I saw so many relatives and yeah, it's been a very beautiful journey and I'm so grateful. And my mom and I, took a photo and I posted it on Instagram and it got so many likes and comments and it's been really well received and so many folks in the Caribbean community and South Asian community have really been supportive and so excited to see our story and journey. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing that. And you give us hope that people can change, that your mom came around and, and, you shouldn't, no one should have to experience what you've experienced, but it, it does give us hope to see that the change is possible. Jackie, go ahead. I was just going to say thank you for sharing your story. I, I really appreciate that. And I, I hope it will be impactful for a lot of our listeners. I'm, I'm confident it will be. I would love to just quote, if, if it's okay, Lana, one of your parents' statements. I want other parents to know that it could be a life or death decision if you don't handle it right. Love your child. Carry the same love you had when they first came out of the womb and you first saw them. And the bottom line is that Lana is our daughter and we love her. Lana is ambitious, artistic, articulate, very intelligent, and humble. I like to kid around with Lana and we laugh together a lot. Which, you know, I, I'm sure Lana hearing that when that, when that interview, when you got to hear that or see that must have touched your heart, but it certainly did mine because both of them talked about how hard it was, how painful it was to come to that place of acceptance and yet really recognizing that the acceptance of a parent or a guardian or somebody is crucial, life or death for people going LGBT people in general, it's just, it can change everything. Thank you, Peggy. Thank you. I'm glad we're doing some quoting from the book. Please feel free to do that at any point because 
It's so beautifully written. It's so poignant. I actually pulled a number of quotes from it as well. And I was going to possibly share some quotes maybe at the end if we have time, but it's, it's just so stunningly written. I want people to know that. Lana, is there someone you would like to select to go next out of your colleagues who, who are featured in the book? Who, who should we hear from next? I actually just recently, just a little while ago, remembered one of my, it was kind of a, a, a memory that was buried for me of one of the moments where I noticed that my assigned gender was not in alignment with how I saw myself. And it was actually a work memory. And I have to say my work is a lot about bringing yourself to work and that kind of stuff. So it was actually quite hard for me for a few years to kind of keep doing what I was doing against kind of that, that wanting to live up to that standard. It was a little bit like it was kind of eating away at me just having that sense of misalignment. I remember I was giving a presentation in, in Germany, actually, thinking to myself, like doing my spiel, talking about my things and realizing I'm actually a man presenting and this distracting thought while talking about the things was just, it was very, very odd. And, but going, going to family, you know, another thing that I want to maybe say at first is, I have such a clear sense that I didn't choose this. <laughs> Who would choose this? So to me, I guess the whole, although I've actually, I've um, identified as bisexual kind of all my grown up life, which didn't seem as much of a big deal for me in the context that I was in, even though I knew trans people existed, that was something for other people so clearly for me. It was like, yeah, I knew that exists. That doesn't, that, it just, applying it to myself just it required a courage. Or like, I don't even know what it is. Not even so much the courage, just the consciousness, I guess. Like, it just, it just did not occur to me. I also just given given my life, I knew when I made the decision to transition that it would be a super public event because I work in a nonprofit that has a fair bit of kind of public facingness that typically is on me. I'm kind of the person who's always sent to the to the front when it's about doing public things. I had a book coming out just when I like uh, that I wrote just when I was about to make that decision about transitioning or not. I remember people sending me emails of like, you have to decide on a name before you publish that book. It's like, oh God, there was just so much of it. And then the kids end up in a community with 70 people like there's just so much. Yeah, it was obviously that it would not be a stealth situation for me. That was not in the cards. I mean, it's ridiculously far away from that. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, talking talking about the kids, you can read it in the book. I highly recommend you read it in the book. As I said, people find it particularly moving, as did I. I want to say that I think out of all the areas of my life, the least resistance and the most support that I've received was from my kids. And that means the world to me because they're the people that I, they are, they, they are kind of the closest people on this planet for me. And there was, yeah, I guess they were, for example, the people that celebrated my milestones with me, that, that they were the people who never, ever screwed up 
pronouns on my name, like just nothing. It was just completely seamless and nothing but love and support from them. So I guess I wanted to emphasize that because that was a little bit of an unknown for me. And just for people to know that kids, they can handle it. So at that point, they were what? Between the ages of five and 15. And of course, they all had their things. Of course, there were the moments where they were like, oh, I don't want change. When you're 10 and something big changes, that's not, you don't throw your hands up in the air and you're excited about necessarily. But just wanting to support me was overriding all of that. Of just like that was the number one was our relationship and whatever it takes. And all the, like, I think my, my kids have caught more heat for everything than I have actually, because nobody goes up to me just of kind of the circles I'm in and just the role I'm in. Typically, I hardly hear any of that. My kids hear it on the school bus and all. And Though they don't love it, they kind of just accept it as that's what you do for each other, you know, like that's what you, that's, you're kind of, you're, you're stuck together in, in it. One honorable mention, I also want to mention my ex for just being so, I mean, first of all, my ex is in the book. That's like insane to me that he would do that. <laughs> and we have a good relationship, but, but still, <laughs> and I just noticed just the impact on so many people around me, my kids, my ex, my current partner. I'm actually, that's an update to the book. I'm in a second partnership right now to, to a woman. So that like all of them, you know, all of them kind of carry their part to make it possible for me. And I'm just so grateful for all of that. Maybe that's all. Thank that's you, Ted. Yeah, you're folks, you've got to read this story. Anybody listening, all of the stories and, you know, and you're, yeah, reading your kids, what they shared and, and talking about kind of challenging people. How can I have three dads? And, and two of them are actually my biological parents. It's like, it blows people's minds. They can't figure it out, but you have such a beautiful blended family where, where, and as you said, even your ex is in the book and it's, this is how it should be in the world. This is a model for what's possible. And we couldn't agree more about the kids leading the way. You know, we see that all the time that the younger generation, they just seem to get it and embrace it. And and we need to follow their lead. So thank you for sharing those little parts of your story, but there's so much more for all of our guests today. And so Ted, who would you like to hear from next? I'm sure we want to hear from everybody, but who who do you want to call on? Let's go to Christian. Great. Thank you so much for listening to our Transgender School podcast. We hope you learned something new and that you're inspired to learn more. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And please be sure to check out our website, transgenderschool.org. You'll find many valuable resources there, including news about upcoming courses we'll be teaching. Make sure to join us for future podcast episodes. We'll catch you on the first Tuesday of every month. 